Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Switched On, the BNF Client Podcast. I'm Dana Perkins. Each week, we choose a recent BNF publication and discuss the findings with the analysts that wrote the report. Just a quick disclaimer, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear a full disclaimer at the end of the show. So this week, we'll be discussing a report about air conditioning and what it means for electricity demand across the world. Today, residential and commercial air conditioners account for 9% of global electricity demand, and this demand is growing in the most populated parts of the world. The 25 countries that BNEF chose to look at actually cover 90% of today's global sales of air conditioners, so it is a great place to start. Joining me today is Seb Henvest, who is the lead author of BNEF's New Energy Outlook, and Matthias Kimmel, who is our energy economics analyst, who is tasked at looking at power system forecasting and demand fundamentals. All right, Seb, Matthias, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So we're going to talk today about a new report that we've published called Air Conditioning Heats Up Electricity Demand. I like what you did there with the play on words, by the way. Uh, And this is a significant report for us because it's aligned aligned with our new energy outlook, but also new for us because we've not written about this before. So why is this the time? Well, I'd say that demand for electricity is like one of those big questions that people don't talk about very much. We've been focused on the supply side, what are the new technologies that meet demand over time, but the question of what does demand look like is a really big and important one. And we thought that, well, what is one of the pieces that's moving most quickly and in particular has uh, a big impact on the shape of demand and the size of electricity demand in the future? And we looked at air conditioning. So um, it's a really interesting piece of work. It thinks about how consumers buy air conditioning um, and the drivers of that and maps that forward to 2050. So I want to know a little bit more about these consumers. So let me just preface in that we're sitting today in London uh, Bloomberg's European headquarters, which is the most energy efficient building in the world. Now, the the nice thing about this is we are in a perfectly temperature-controlled environment. But this sort of building isn't the sort of building that we are talking about in this report, is it? No, not at all. If you if you think about a household in India, for example, um, you know, the average household might be able to um, afford a rice cooker and a TV and maybe they have mobile phones. But it's India is a very hot place. And, and what households in India care about, as, as we do here, but maybe to a less extent because it's not as hot as in India, is to feel comfortable at home, to have um, room, temperature, uh, room temperature that is comfortable. 
And so if you don't have the household income, everything you might be able to afford is a fan, you know, and it makes the, the air feel a bit cool, but it's not really what you, at the end of the day, what you want. So many um, families in India and in other places try to try to be able to have a um, an air conditioner at home. And this analysis looks exactly at this, these questions, trying to understand where are we today in terms of household ownership of air conditioners in places like India, Southeast Asia, Latin America, and trying to understand where do these households by 2050, by the mid-century, get in terms of, you know, are they wealthy enough to be able to afford? Yeah. And, and I think it's really interesting because we know there is some relationship between air conditioning and productivity. Um, and... I think there's a statistic in the report, uh, Matthias, where you have uh, for every one degree above 25 degrees Celsius, you get a, a minus 2% change in, in performance, in, in sort of business performance. And this was some, some studies that you looked at trying to capture that effect. Uh, and there's, I think there's a quote um, uh, from, who is it, uh, who, who puts ec- uh, the economic success of their country down to air conditioning. Yeah, the founding father of, of South Korea. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that there is a beautiful connection here between comfort and the ability to be productive in, in hot and difficult climates. And so why is air conditioning important? Well, because it's actually a development story as much as it is an electricity story. I see why it's important, but I'm thinking that might not be why people buy it. So I'm seeing some of the one of the charts and for those, you know, who are listening today, I know you can't see this, but I do urge you to go into the report because there are some very pretty charts in there. And one of the ones in there you really compare other white goods that people might be able to afford. And it seems to me that it's much more about consumer taste. So one example even then you had was Vietnam. And how the they look like they're going to buy more air conditioning than anybody else. And unless we're expecting their GDP to grow faster than any other country in the entire world, that seems to be much more around culture and taste and demand. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually very important. If you if you you know if you look at countries in in in, in South Asia or Southeast Asia. Air conditioning is almost something like an, a status symbol. It's it, it, it represents the entry into the middle class. So you know, as I said before, you might be able to um, um, afford a mobile phone or a, or a rice cooker, but once you have an air conditioner, that's you know almost like okay, you finally got there where many many households in in Europe or the US already are. So it's a status symbol. Of course, it has also something with to do with culture. If you look at the United States, almost 90% of, of households have an, have an air conditioner. In Europe, penetration is much lower. So we te- in Europe, we tend to use other forms of cooling. Um, so yeah, culture, of course, um, plays a very important role. So just rewinding really yeah. quickly, I want to know what these other forms of cooling are versus what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned very quickly in there an evaporative air cooler. And how does that differ how does that differ from the type of air conditioners that you're talking about? Well, an actual air conditioner is much more powerful in, in terms of um, providing cooling, but it also consumes much more electricity. So an, so an evaporative air cooler is something in between um, a, a ceiling fan, for example, an air conditioner. But I think in in the end, eventually, what what people are trying to have is a, is a proper air conditioner that you can really control and really reach a temperature level that is um, that is um, com- convenient and comfortable. So something that's powered by HFCs and HCFCs are the the view there. 
Well, I mean, so the, the big problem with air conditioning, of course, is not just that it creates electricity demand, because that doesn't have to be a bad thing, and, and in, in most of the world, this is a great thing, um, is that there are uh, very potent greenhouse gases associated with the refrigerants. And so I think as we've taken action as a global community against ozone-depleting substances, we now have a second layer of challenge um, around refrigeration, air conditioning, and others similar uh, things that uh, what do we do about the, the HFCs uh, that are replacing the CFCs and the HCFCs? Uh, um, and We like alphabet soup over yeah, there. But are they, you know, these, these are very high global warming potential gases. So um, a small amount of that is equivalent to a lot of CO2 emissions. Um, so that's an ongoing problem and not something this report looks to address. And in fact, we don't really talk about emissions at all, do we? It's mostly mm -hmm. about the yeah. impact that air conditioning uptake has on electricity demand, um, both the the amount and the shape. And I think that's one of the uh, interesting things about this is that we reckon air conditioning demand in developing Asia in particular is going to really re reformat the intraday electricity demand shape that means something for solar, right? Well, and one of the yeah. examples that you mm -hmm. used, and I think that's so compelling, was uh, Mexico and how... Yeah. Where it's hot there, you see not only residential but utility-scale solar really rolling out. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. So today, if you look at the intraday demand profile of Mexico, that means you know you look at when how electricity, how much electricity you or households and, and industry consume in the morning versus in the evening, you see that Mexico has an evening peak. That means that you know as how uh, as as people come home, switch on their TVs. The air conditioner units they already have, you see a, a peak um, of demand um, um, towards um, later hours in the evening. However, as Mexico develops, as more and more households adopt air conditioning, we expect the maximum demand to shift from the evening to during the day, because that's when most businesses are operating, when they turn on their air conditioners, but also some households um, you know, turn on their air conditioners. So it's in the it's around the, the afternoon when we expect um, um, most electricity to be demanded in the future. And that has an impact on the... Um, when it's hottest in the day is what you're saying, because wherever anybody is, they're going to want their air conditioning unit on. Exactly. What's important is that you know, people go to work and you know, not everyone is going to be at home at four in the afternoon is going to turn on their air conditioning. However, the, the aggregate demand of businesses and households in, based on our analysis, peaks um, um, in, in, in the afternoon. And this is when we, um, when we expect the peak demand for Mexico to, um, to um, appear in the future, to occur in the future. So this aligns pretty well with what Seb was saying around that air conditioning could increase productivity. And we're assuming that there will be an increase in energy demand due to this while people are theoretically at work. So it's not just going to be at home to be comfortable, but to be comfortable while you are thinking and trying to make money and increase your country's GDP. Exactly. And uh, maybe going back to what Seb uh, mentioned before about, you know, the, those studies that we are citing, if you look at the um, at how um, air conditioning has helped the United States, for example, 60, 70 years ago in becoming more productive. There are several studies that show that, you know, once air conditioning was introduced in offices, um, typists became more productive. Um, people had um, fewer sick days because the temperature in the office became more comfortable and people 
probably just, um, you know, we're more comfortable at the workplace, but also um, we're more productive. And, and we expect the same to, to affect developing countries, including Mexico. So speaking of productivity and continuing with this, um, one of the things that we don't talk about here is industrial and um, things like servers and how much they're going to need in terms of cooling. Is this on our wish list? Is this something where, you know, it's notably absent and you decided not to cover it because now's not the right time? Um, or because oh, maybe something else I've not considered? Well, the, the way we structure this report is that it, our analysis is based on households and small to medium-sized businesses. So we're not looking necessarily at large-scale air conditioning systems such as the one we have here at Bloomberg. And the question why might be, you know, that the air conditioning is in system in this building is just running 24 hours probably anyway but what we are interested in is the impact on, on the demand profile so so not the like the steady demand that you have 24 hours anyway but the the, the impact it has you know when people come home and turn on their air conditioner um yeah and underlying it all because it's households and small businesses what we're talking about here is consumer uptake and consumer uptake the modeling we do underlying consumer uptake, whether it's the air conditioning work or electric vehicles work or the uh, rooftop PV and household batteries work, there's a whole um, suite of different analyses that we do looking at consumer uptake. And coming back to what you were saying earlier, Dana, about cultural norms and choices, uh, that is captured in consumer uptake because what we're really saying is there is some economics that matter. The price has got to be right. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. But once you can afford it, are you going to buy it? And the answer and what we've seen across the world, I think, when we look back at the historical data is that once countries can afford it, people start to add air conditioning. There's some fundamental utility to this um, that makes it look a lot like other consumer goods that have fundamental utility, whether they're washing machines, radios, personal computers, the list goes on and on, and they all have this S-shaped curve. And so the job in this analysis is to look at where countries are now, try and think through where they are on this curve, and therefore start to predict that uptake as those countries get richer. And one of the things I thought was really interesting, Matthias, that you found was that this point at which mass market uptake of air conditioning for households and small businesses occurs is getting earlier on in terms of um, household wealth. So... Um, uh, Households are less well off when they buy their air conditioner than they used to be, um, you know, back 20, 30, 50 years ago. Exactly. And this is quite important for the analysis because otherwise we would need to probably, est uh, we would think that households in India will only really adopt it in 20, 30 years, but they start to adopt it now. And one of the reasons is that um, air conditions are getting cheaper. So in the 1930s, 1940s, when the first air conditioners were available in the United States, they cost several thousand um, dollars. So only the very, very richest households could afford. But today you can get a um, window air conditioner for $250 or a split AC for $350. What's causing them to get cheaper? Mass manufacturing. Um, the Japanese, the Indians, the, the Americans are very good in producing this. So it's just now that we have a very long history of producing this. And we have seen this with other appliances, with other technologies. You know, once you have um, um, companies that mass produce this, when, once you have high demand, costs just, just keep falling. And, and this allows um, 
poorer households to afford this much earlier than they would have maybe 50, 60 years ago. But single units going into a window kind of reminds me of the skyline of New York. Exactly. So in 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 in, in places like um, on places in in Asia, you will see simpler units as compared to what a household or a house in in the U.S. Um, has. In the U.S., most of the time now you have a central air conditioner that that cools the entire the entire house. While in in smaller flats in 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 cities in in China or, or India, you probably have a room air conditioner or a, a wall mounted air conditioner. And most of the uptake that we're projecting is a, an Asia story. Southeast Asia in particular, I think one of the statistics in the report says that between China, India and Indonesia, exactly. that's what two-thirds of... Uh, um, well, it's most of the world, first of all, in terms of population. It's a large so population. That makes sense. No, that's right. But two-thirds of, of air conditioning uptake. Um, and so when we're looking at where is this going to have the biggest impact and going to change um, sort of the business as usual most, it's these countries where particularly Indonesia and India, that right now have, what, 5%, 6% penetration, something like yeah, that, certainly yeah. single digits. Yeah. And as that ramps up to the um, – as the these countries get wealthier, um, if indeed they do, mm. which we expect, this gets everywhere and starts to really change the electricity demand profile. Yeah. I mean, in China today already has a 60% ownership rate across the country. However, most of it, or the big majority, is in cities, so most – uh, most urban households already own an air conditioner in China, but we expect over time that also rural households will adopt air conditioning. So not every country will be, you know, as fast as as China. When you look at China's GDP per capita today and the ownership rate um, they have, they're very far ahead compared to others. But still, it's an indication that thanks to lower air um, conditioner prices. Um, um, greater uh, product availability, uh, more advertisement, um, you know, be people being connected around the world, trying to, you know, trying to do what um, households in Europe and, and, and United States do or have. Um, yeah, we expect this to, to uh, be faster than, than in the past. So we're sitting here in London, which is notorious for its temperate climate. So I think this might be hard for us to mentally push away from. But let's pretend like we're all in India at the moment. And we've got some disposable income. And we can choose between an air conditioner, a microwave. Ooh, um, I think you listed on here a washing machine and a radio. Probably wouldn't take a radio. Um, what would you pick first and why? Well, I'd pick a washing machine. I mean, this is getting a little off topic, but I think the washing machine is one of the great emancipating forces um, uh, of, of the modern era. Um, and so I think you, it's, it's better to be warm um, and, and have um, – You want your sweaters to be clean that well, you're wearing. Well, you, you, you don't want someone in the household, and it's traditionally women, of course, um, doing washing all day. And that's what you have to do without a machine. You know, you wash and cook all day. So cookers and washers, from mm -hmm. a development perspective – are way more important than air conditioning. But as soon as you get into inside work and you've got an economy that's moving from more agrarian into, and into industry and services, then air conditioning, I think, really becomes that sort of next phase of technologies that enables uh, productivity and more rapid uh, GDP growth, which is, which is pretty important. Yeah. I mean, air conditioners are probably more important to people in very hot countries than they are to us. 
This is why air conditioner ownership here in the UK is very low. In the US, it's with 90%. It's quite high, actually. But you would probably expect that people in 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 very hot places want to have an air conditioner earlier than than in other places. So, of course, we all want to have a mobile phone. We all want to have a TV. But um, air conditioners are for sure on the very high on the list of durable goods that people want to have in, in, in warm places. And so one of the things about these air conditioners, and again, we're not talking about greenhouse gases in this report. It's energy demand all of the way. But um, I was reading in this book called Project Drawdown, and 90% of the emissions actually come from them end of life. Do we have any idea on how long these units actually last? Yeah, what I assume in the report is that they last around 15 years. It's probably a, um, um, let's say, an optimistic um, um, assumption, but you can already see in Australia, in the United States, usually they last for 15 years. Potentially, if you know it's a very cheap unit, maybe it's only going to last ten year, um, ten years. What could also be is that you know, as you're getting richer, you buy your first unit, then in five years you think about it. Maybe you want to have a better one. You get rid of the old one. But usually, um, probably you want to think about ten to to fifteen years lifetime for an air conditioner. And that, I mean, and in terms of the disposal of these things, I mean, I think it is, I think it is a problem. Um, so. As this report doesn't get into the the issues with with emissions, but um, uh, in terms of the the um, uh, fluorinated gases that 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 are the problem in terms of high global warming potential, but what it does say is that if you're going to have electricity demand growth in the future, the more you can have during the day, the more you can use renewables because it does line up. And so for hot climates, solar specifically, solar specifically, thank you, yes, yeah, solar specifically. So from the hours that the sun is up, the more electricity demand you can have during those times, the more you can meet demand with renewables. So whether you move that demand around in, you know, whether it's here in London or New York or somewhere with, you know, dynamic demand and sort of flexibility that enables you to use electricity at different times or in somewhere like India or Southeast Asia, that demand growth happening during the day, um, you know, that means more renewables. And so that is a good side of this story. Um, it aligns well with the seasonal intermittency issue as opposed to… Absolutely. In Australia, peak demand in summer used to be the time when you turned on everything you had. The coal was running, the gas was running, the oil-fired generators were running. And increasingly, as there's, there's uh, more and more rooftop PV in particular, but PV in general, um, that peak is getting shaved by those renewables. So that summer air conditioning load, which I don't know, in terms of total peak, 30% mm. plus in somewhere yeah. like Australia, it's a huge amount of electricity demand being met by renewables more and more like is a good news story. So there is some ecosystem of, mm. of pieces here that um, you know is uh, going in the right direction, but nothing, of course, is so straightforward. And we have uh, this refrigerant, um, high global warming potential gas issue that is also uh, is also there too. Yeah. Do we have a view on what this PV is going to look like? Is it going to be rolled out alongside units that are actually in these local communities or residential or because a lot of it's happening in countries where maybe people are um, haven't always had access to electricity in the specific locales, it's more going to be at the utility centers? Well, I mean, as as part of our new energy outlook, we we produce a forecast both both for small scale PV as well as utility scale PV. Um, so it really depends country by country how good your solar resources are, 
what your retail tariff look uh, retail tariffs look like, whether they're very high and whether it makes more sense to um, to install a PV um, system rather than continuing to consume electricity from the grid. But definitely, as you, if you have a PV system um, that can um, provide the electricity to your air conditioner unit, that's almost like a perfect symbiosis. However, what's important is that in many countries where it stays really warm into the evening, at one point, um, probably, you know, you might need the electricity from the grid as your PV panel is not producing anymore. So for certain hours, it's for certain hours, it's definitely perfect. Then, you know, once you go into the evening, you you will need um, um, other sources. So every place is different. So you're mentioning the new energy outlook. When is that published? Because we do this once a year. That's right. So once a year, we combine um, as many of the brains as we can get our hands on it uh, at BNEF and produce an outlook to 2050 for the electricity sector. And it touches on a number of other things across fuels and materials. And um, but at its heart, it's an electricity forecast, um, and uh, it's an economics-based forecast. So it's trying to give us a view of all other things being equal. Where is the economics going to take us? Uh, and that is due to be published, uh, I think at this stage, on the 18th of June, um, which is a Tuesday, I believe. Uh, and we're working very hard to put that together. This work in particular is going to feed into that as part of the demand analysis. Um, and alongside that, we've got some other interesting pieces of work that touch on demand. We're going to look this year for the first time at uh, the electrification of heat. Um, we're going to keep our powder a little bit dry on exactly how we're going to do that and what our conclusions are going to be. But thinking about how... Um, Heat provision in, in, in high latitudes uh, might be electrified to what extent that could happen and what that would do to the electricity system. And we're also planning on looking at a, a, a broader um, a view on the electrification of transport beyond our electric vehicle outlook, which is actually due to be published in the middle of May. So that's coming up, I think, on the 15th of May, that's due out. And that, of course, feeds into our new energy outlook as well. So we're gonna look a bit more at transport, a bit more at heat, think oh. about air conditioning, and really focus on demand a little bit and what that means, um, and what electrification as a decarbonization strategy really means for the future uh, the future system. And hopefully we'll have some nice insights and some surprising, uh, surprising findings that come from that. All roads lead to the new energy outlook. Seb, Matthias, thank you so much for joining us today on Switched On. Thanks, Dana, for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's been fun. BNEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. The recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or competentness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.